Good morning. It is good to see everyone. I tell you, there's nothing like the presence of God. Amen. Nothing like it. Well, you know, we were talking this morning in Sunday school about Abraham and Isaac and about, uh, you know, fathers and sons and a lot of different things. If you missed it this morning, come next week because you're missing some good stuff. You want to be there for it. But as I was going through this week and, and praying and preparing for the message, I got to thinking about times when I was young. And I remember as a child, whenever I worked with my parents or my grandparents on anything, as they're walking me through the instructions on something, if they repeated themselves, I knew that was something I needed to pay attention to. And then I kind of grew up in one of those families too where, you know, sometimes, especially with my grandfather, you know, if he had to repeat himself, that may not be a good thing. So you learn to pay attention. But if they did say something twice, you knew, okay, this is something that needs to be paid attention to. This is important. When I got to college, I found the same thing. Most of my professors, if they repeated something several times, I knew unless I wanted to fail my test, I probably ought to write it down and study it more because it was going to come back up again. And I found the same to be true with God's Word. Now, we know the Bible is God's Word. It's God-breathed. It's God-inspired. It was recorded for the ages. Still as true today as it was when it was written. So if God repeats himself, it stands to reason that we might want to pay attention to what he has to say. And as it turns out, about a week ago as I was doing my quiet time, I saw this very thing happen. I was in the book of Proverbs, chapter 12, and I came across this passage in verse 14. But it says, From the fruit of his mouth a man is satisfied with good, And the work of a man's hand comes back to him. Now, the verse stood out to me. I kind of looked over it. You know, sometimes you just read through Scripture and it jumps out at you. And you think, okay, I'm going to come back to that one. So I highlight it. I wrote some notes in the margin, some stuff I wanted to look at, things I wanted to think about. And I thought, okay, I'll come back to that. I kept reading. And it wasn't until I reached Proverbs 13, 2, that I thought, well, this might be a little more interesting study than I had originally set out to to do. Because that one says, From the fruit of his mouth a man eats what is good, but the desire of the treacherous is for violence. Now, these two passages stood out to me, not only because of the concept. That was the main thing that caught me. From the fruit of his mouth a man is satisfied with good. Now, as you see on the screen, it says, From the fruit of the lips a man enjoys good things. But there was an ownership quality of that that really struck me. Because it doesn't say, from the hand of God a man is satisfied with good. It doesn't say from the fruit of the Lord's mouth, which is what we would think. We would think from the word of God. It says from the fruit of his mouth a man is satisfied. From the work of a man's hand it comes back to him. From the fruit of his mouth a man eats what is good. And I thought, okay... So this one bears more study, so I like to break down and look into these things. And as we go through this today, I will make one note. Um, I am working out of an English Standard Version. And you may see the scriptures on there NIV. There's two reasons for that. One is that I tend to use versions that we don't have already loaded (laughs) in the computer. (laughs) Just being honest. Uh, And the second is because I sent these to Brad kind of late last night. So kudos, Brad, for getting these together. I appreciate it. But I I, I love NIV. I used NIV for years. But the NIV gives you a thought-for-thought translation. So it takes the concepts, and 
subject to some of the bias of the author or the committee, but it, it kind of gives you the thought behind what the words say. The English Standard Version is what they call a virtually literal translation. So it, it's basically word for word. The only time you come across something that might not be exact is there are cases in Greek and Hebrew where they use multiple tenses that we don't use in English. And so the author, when they put it together, they have to say, well, this is kind of an English word that approximates this concept the best. And usually there's a note in the margin where it shows they've done that. And I also use one called the Young's Literal Translation, which is an exact literal literal. You know, it really every single word is just a literal translation. But I like to go back and look at that because I want to see literally what was actually said. If we believe this was God's word, I want to know literally what God said. I'm not interested in what someone's thought was. I'm not interested in the, in the paraphrased version of it. I want to know what did God say. So that's why I use that. Um, it, and it also doesn't help that we live in an instant society, right? Now, what do I mean by that? Now, I mentioned there were other tenses. Now, I have a degree in English, but it was in English literature. Okay, it's not in grammar. <laughs> so, Darlene, just saying. Grammar is not always my strongest suit. My professors would tell you that. Um, I'm convinced that the, the stock in the red ink companies went up while I was in college uh, because I usually got them marked back. It looked like they'd been through just some kind of terrible tragedy that everything was marked up. And it was usually my grammar, uh, especially my commas, very bad. But anyway, not, not important. But there's all these tenses that we have in English. Now, Greek and Hebrew makes what we have look like nothing. There are tenses upon tenses upon tenses for things, and I sit there and go, I can't even wrap my head around this. I struggled enough with my own language, I can't get into somebody else's. But we have that in English where we sometimes dummy things down. We have a tendency to want to gloss over things. So when it comes to Bible translation in our own studies, we maybe want to take shortcuts. We read a phrase like this, like it says, By the fruit of his mouth a man is satisfied with good. And we may automatically want to make the assumption of another concept that we've heard in church, right? The fruit of the Spirit. That's one we're all pretty, pretty familiar with, right? And if you know anything about the fruit of the Spirit, it talks about all the different love, joy, peace. But the idea behind the fruit is that it's a growth. When we get saved, we have that initial experience with Christ. We need to get the infilling of the Holy Spirit. The idea is that there's a growth that happens. That from the time of our salvation until whatever time God calls us home, there should be a steady growth and an outpouring of these traits of God that people can see. That's what we call the fruit. And so it would be real easy to look at this and say, okay, that must be what it's talking about here, from the fruit of his mouth. It must be maybe growth in love, growth in joy, growth in peace, those kinds of words coming out. And the problem with that thought is, it's wrong. So we can't just automatically assume, well, I've studied one concept with one word, so it must be the same over here, because it's not always the case because this wasn't originally written in English. So we have to make allowances for that when we study it. So if you actually go back and you look up in the Hebrew what this word fruit means, and this is all coming from, the, from a Strong's uh, Concordance if you ever want to look this up on your own. But in this case it means to bring forth, to cause to be, to make or increase. So if we literally translated this passage, we could read Proverbs 12:14 as, from his mouth, a man causes to be that which satisfies him with good. Or you could look in verse 13 too and say, a man causes from his mouth or a man brings forth from his mouth that which is good. So again, this sounds like this is really something as a believer 
right? That we have an active role to play in what? In our own satisfaction, being satisfied with good, which we understand satisfied with good means the good things the Lord provides and the Lord himself, right? But are words really that important in a Christian life? You know, we may go through a, a day and say a thousand words and not remember a thousand of them, <laughs> honestly. What are the conversations that we have with people? What are the things that we say? What do we talk about? Is it really important? Well, let's take a look and see some of the things that words do. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Through him, and this is through God, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. Proverbs 18, 20, and 21 says, From the fruit of a man's mouth his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. There's that growth concept again. Proverbs 14, 3, By the mouth of a fool comes a rod for his back, but the lips of the wise will preserve them. Uh-oh, now it kind of looks like we can go either way with this. Well, let's keep looking at this. Proverbs 16, 13, Righteous lips are the delight of a king, and he loves him who speaks what is right. Proverbs 10, 32, The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverse. And Proverbs 18, 6 and 7 says, A fool's lips walk into, his, into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. So just right there, in just a handful of passages, we've seen concepts that say what? From the fruit of his mouth, a man is satisfied with good. He eats what is good. Okay, let's see here. We've got his stomach is satisfied. He's satisfied by the yield of his lips. Offers up sacrifices of praise to God. But then it also says... A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. I love that phrase. That just sounds kind of southern to me. You know, I looked at that, and I'm kind of reading that in my head going, Son, you're inviting a beating. I can just hear it, you know. And I'm picturing times when me and my friends would be talking in high school, and I'm looking at someone kind of giving that advice like, uh, No, I don't think I'd do this, you know. And they're, they're kind of shooting off at the mouth, and you know how it's going to end, and then it does. And then you get to do the I told you so's to them, but... So we kind of get this, this concept that it goes either way, right? But in either case, who's kind of driving the ship here? Right, we are. This doesn't say that God puts us in situations that causes fights and beatings. It doesn't say, you know, God is going to throw out a snare for your soul. It says we do that. So by this point, I said, okay, <laughs> I found six or seven. But one of the things they teach you in, in, in Bible school, I took a class called hermeneutics. And the first thing they, they teach you to do is how to pronounce the class. And then after you learn that, 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 that really ought to be enough because it's a mouthful. But you get past it, and what it teaches is how to rightly divide God's Word. That's what the entire class teaches. This is how we interpret the Bible. This is the standard biblical interpretation that we use. And the way it works is you take a verse, you look at that verse, and you match it up with the chapter, you take the concept of the chapter, put it with the book, take the book, put it with the testament, take the testament, put it with the entire work. So that way you're not just pulling some random verse out and coming up with some crazy philosophy and going off and starting your own church somewhere and saying this is how you do it, and you're totally wrong. Because it's very easy to take certain passages you know, out of context and run with it and say, well, this is what it says. 
you have to go back and look at the whole. So I said, okay, I found, you know, seven, eight, four, five. Yeah, I found several verses here that are kind of talking about the same theme. Now let's look out and see how many times this, this comes up. And I'm not going to read them all. I'll spare you that. But if you look up just basically fruit of the mouth or anything having to do with mouth or lips in, in terms of Scripture, 88 different verses come up. Now, if we go with the concept that if God thinks it's important enough to repeat himself, we need to pay attention to it. Now we've got 88 different verses where this concept comes up in Scripture. To me, that, that sounds like he really wants us to kind of pay attention to this. Now, we've been studying Abraham, and I want to take a minute and look at this, and I think it's so neat. You know, we've been studying Abraham. Pastor Jeff's not here, but... Pete gave a nod to, to the Abraham study. I'm doing one this morning. I think it's great. I just, I love that. So, but look at Romans chapter four, verses 17 and 18. It says, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and what and calls into existence the things that do not exist. We'll come back to that. In hope, Abraham now, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. So in hope, he believed against hope. Now that kind of sounds like it's at cross purposes, right? How do you have hope and you believe against your hope? How's that, how's that work out? What Abraham did in this situation is he went from hope and he inserted faith into it. And there's an important distinction and there's a difference between the two. And it's key to everything that we're going to be looking at this morning. Now let's make sure we're on the same page here first off with faith. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the conviction of things not seen. So Abraham at this point, he did this from the beginning. God changed his name from Abram to Abraham, which means father of many nations right? Did he have any kids at this point? None, okay? So how is it that he was able to go around and introduce himself? Hi, I'm father of many nations. How many kids you got? None. How does he do that? Well, one thing you have to understand is the difference between faith and hope is that faith is always going to speak the desired end result in the present tense. It's never going to be in the future. If it's in the future, it's hope. If you're waiting on something and you say, I'm waiting on this to arrive, you're hoping for its arrival. Great example is we have a blessed hope about the return of Christ. We know he's coming again. We don't know when. We know it's going to happen. So the faith is that we have faith that when God said it, it's true. We have hope because it's not yet manifested. It's not happened yet but we know it's going to, so that's where faith and hope come in. Abraham went around calling himself the father of many nations for years before it manifested. But look at what he was doing. He had the faith in his heart that he believed God's message to him. And what did that faith prompt him to do? It prompted him to speak. His very name, every time he introduced himself to someone, was, my name is Abraham. In the language, they automatically understood it to mean father of many nations. So his very introduction to someone was a testament to God. And it was a testimony of his faith in God, of what God was going to do. He knew it beyond a shadow of a doubt and said it every time he said his name to someone. 
it would be kind of like if we walked up to someone and, they, and you said, you know, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Well, you may not look righteous, you may not act righteous, but the Bible says that's what you are. Whether we feel like it or not. I'm sure Abraham didn't wake up every morning and feel like a dad. You know? Because trust me, when you've not had kids and then when you've had kids, there's a difference in the way you wake up. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> there's a difference. Yeah, exactly. What time? Uh, you know. Remember? <laughs> I think it was Eric the other day woke my wife up. And... Uh, she was kind of tired, had been up late the night before. He comes in and he wakes her up and says, Mom, it's time to get up. And she's like, oh, you know, just that kind of that, oh, you want to go back to sleep? And he says, hey, the sky's up, I'm up. Time to get up, you know. <laughs> so, uh, so I loved it. I thought that was so great. And, you know, we do the same thing, and we may not think about it, but we really do the same thing that Abraham was doing. And I'll give you an example. When we come to know Christ, okay, the, the, the Christianese term is we become saved, Right? We confess that we have a new nature. That doesn't mean we're still not going to mess up at some point. Um, if it does and you figured that out, please talk to me after the service because I, you know, I, I mess up. I'm saved, but I still mess up. There's that growth process that we talked about. But when asked about it or when we witness to someone, we never say that we're getting saved day by day. Or, well, I still have issues, but I know one day I'll be saved. We never say that. You know, if that's what God has for me, I'll get saved at some point. And in the meantime, I'm just going to muddle along and do the best I can. We don't say it that way, but why not? That's hope, right? If we were waiting to get saved, then we would say, one of these days I'm going to be saved. That's my hope. But Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, look at this. is because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, now get this, you will be saved. Now stop there just a minute. This is one of those examples where if you pull this verse out of context, you could stop right there and you could say salvation is in the future. Because it says you will be saved, not that you are saved, you will be saved. That looks like it's talking about future tense. But read the very next verse. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and what and is saved. Now that's the literal translation. It means you are saved the minute you confess it. Done. Signed, sealed, delivered, you're done. That's it. And look at the order because this is important. With the heart, one believes. With the mouth, one confesses. It always has to go in this order. You're never going to come to a time where you confess it with your mouth, but you don't believe it in your heart. And there are a lot of philosophies out there that do that. If, if you remember back in the day, you may have like the power of positive thinking. Or, you know, there's all these different New Age philosophies that come out about, you know, I'm just going to kind of pretend these things aren't here. I'm going to go to my happy place. I'm going to, you know, whatever it may be. But the idea is that if, if you just say it enough, it's like a denial kind of thing. And what is it people say about Christians? Well, you guys live in denial. You don't accept reality. No, it's not that we don't accept reality. We understand what reality really is. And we're telling the world to get in line with what God says reality is. That's why we can say some of the things we say that people say, well, you're crazy. You can't really do that. Well, yes, I can. Why? Because that's what my God did. You know, when Jesus was down here, the reason he stirred things up so bad is he told people this is how it is, and they didn't like it. I don't think that's changed. And people I've talked to, it hasn't changed. Some people get mad at some things, you say. <laughs> but, you know, I remember something my mama taught me. She told me, she said, son, I love you enough to let you hate me. 
But I'm going to tell you when you do something wrong, and I'm going to tell you in love, and it's up to you whether you do with it or not. But it's my job to tell you. Well, it's our job to say things outside of these four walls that aren't always comfortable, that people don't want to hear, and it might cost us some sacrifice at times. But, you know, if God lays it on your heart and puts you in that situation to do it, we need to do our best to take advantage of that situation. Because I've got to be honest, I'd really rather have somebody down here mad at me than have to stand before God and explain myself. And I really do believe we're going to be held account one day for what we do, what we say, and what we don't do, and what we don't say. And well, I was nervous, or well, I might have lost something, I'm not sure that's going to hold up real well with him. And that is easy to say that when you're not in that situation, so I'm not saying it's easy to do. But in our prayer time and in our prayer life, that's one of those things we need to be praying about. That, you know, God, if you put me in this situation, give me the courage to step out boldly and do that. You know, step out boldly like I should, I think was how one of the apostles phrased it. But that order that we look at was important. We believe and then we confess. Now let's just take a minute and look. And, and Brad, this is not one I sent, believe it or not, out of the 5,000 I sent you last night. I still came up with some more I didn't include, so... And I really, if you guys haven't, be sure and, and thank the, the guys in the back with what they do with this stuff, because I've got to tell you, it's, uh, I, I know it's probably the same with Pastor Jeff, but I know with me, I usually bombard them with a lot of stuff. And it's usually not until Saturday afternoon or evening. <laughs> I really am working on that, um, trying to get a little more organized with it. But Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. Now, the story of Genesis is pretty familiar with most of you. It's a creation story, right? Let's take a look and see if God's setting any precedent here with what we've been talking about. And God said, well, how about that? There it is. What did he say? Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw light was good. The, the literal translation of that phrase, let there be light, was literally light be. God took something. There was nothing. There was void. God literally spoke light be and boom. We've got everything, right? And started the whole process. And then he went on and said, let there be an expanse. Let there be, you know, and he started saying, but in every case, he said, let there be, let there be, let there be. He's confessing into that situation the outcome that he already knows by faith, as God obviously believes in his own power, right? But he made everything. But he didn't just shape it with his hands. You know, if you go back and you look at, at mythology, some of the different creation stories, some of the, the, the false you know, mythology from years ago, the Greeks or the, the Norse or, you know, whatever they had. You'll see stories about how, you know, there was maybe some, something had happened and then they formed somebody out of something or, or there was something they made or something they did or, or something fought and then something came about. He spoke, right? And it's important because we need to understand that distinction and how it applies. So then I went back and I looked and I said, okay, so obviously God spoke into creation, so we've got this, but let's make sure we're not taking this out of context. So how many times is it recorded in scriptures where it says, God said or thus says the Lord, and there's something that comes out of that? Over 1,900 times between the Old and New Testament. Now I figure I'm not the brightest person in the world, but if God says something to me 1,900 times, maybe I ought to pay attention to it. But in order to believe any of this, the first thing we have to do is we have to first believe God's Word. We have to believe that what we have in this book, that this is literally God's Word to us. Because if we can't agree on that, then really none of the rest of it matters. We're talking philosophy at that point. 
well, it may be for good for you, but it doesn't necessarily work for me. And then we get into this little kumbaya, happy go, whatever we got now going on in the world. It doesn't work. Okay? This word is God's word. This word is life. This word is light. This word is truth. And regardless of what they teach nowadays, there is an absolute truth. There is an absolute right or wrong. And if you're not lining up with the right that's in this book, you're wrong. And it's that simple. It really is. And we don't say that as Christians out of pride or arrogance, like, like the Pharisees did. Oh, I'm so much more righteous than you know. We say it out of thanksgiving to God that he opened our eyes and we saw a way, you know, Jesus Christ is the way out of this. And because we understand where we were and what God did when he called us out, we want to share that with other people, not that we're judging their life, but that we want to give them the gift of life. You know, the moment we become saved, that's when we really truly become alive. Just because we're born doesn't mean we're alive. We're, we're spiritually dead until we come to accept Christ. The moment of our salvation is when we really truly become alive. And we need to share that with the world because the world needs it. We have to accept that this word is final authority in our life. And I want to dwell on that one just for a moment. Because that concept is very important as well. And it's one that rolls off the tongue, easy, final authority. We kind of get it. It sounds churchy. We can agree with it. But stop and think about what this means for a minute. Now, we said we agree that this word is God's word to us. When we say it means it has final authority, that means that over anything in your life that comes up, there is an answer in this book. And that whatever this book says about whatever situation you face in your life, this is the truth of it, regardless of how things look in the natural. Because to say anything other than that is to say, well, I believe God's word and God's word says this, but you know, this is what's going on in the world right now and we just have to accept it. Unknowingly, and maybe not meaning to, in that situation, what happened? You just elevated the world above your God. And we do that without realizing it a lot of times. It's part of that growth process, right? Remember, we're children and we have to kind of grow up. Sometimes my kids do things that, that don't make much sense, and when I've showed them, you know, this is why it's wrong, they say, yeah, gee, Dad, that didn't make any sense at all. And I usually get to tell them, yeah, you know, it didn't, but hey, I remember when I did that when I was your age. It's part of that growth. You know, we mess up, and as we grow in God, we're going to continually be growing up in God. But we've got to make sure that we're remembering that this is final authority. Look at Mark chapter 11. This is going to start in 22 through 24. Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, okay, stop just a minute, that goes back to that concept. You have to first believe it, then you can say it. But believes that what he says will come to pass, what it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever, whatever you ask in prayer, Believe you have received it, and it will be yours. Now, let me clarify, because this does not mean that you can go home and start praying for a Ferrari to show up in your driveway. Okay. Again, some people, they may take it out of context and think, well, that preacher guy said I can pray for anything. Okay, I need a new Ferrari right now. You don't. I get it. It would be nice, but we don't need it. This is whatever you ask in prayer, prayer meaning you're asking God. Now, in order to ask God, you have to what? You have to first believe in your heart. How are you going to believe it? It has to come out of God's Word. 
So the things that we ask God, we have to understand that we can ask God, and here's why we can ask God, because right here's where it says, God, I can ask you for this. God, I can expect this because you said right here. It's almost like having a contract. You know, if, if you rent a place and you have a landlord or something, and something tears up, and in the contract, the landlord says, if this breaks, I'll fix it. You're not going to sit there and say, well, you know, gee, landlord, if it's your will, or if I've been good enough, or if I've worked hard enough, I'm gonna, you're going to come and fix this for me, right? You're going to call him up and say, hey, this is broken. And I saw in our contract, it says right here that if this breaks, you're going to fix it. How soon are you coming out? You know, and there may be a little waiting involved, right? It's kind of the same way with God. But when we, we pray, if it's in his word, we know it's automatically his will. We don't have to ask about that part. Right? God's word is his will. We never have to question it. If it's in here, that's his will for us. So that part's easy. That one's kind of solved. It even says, I don't have this one handy, but it says what? Be not unwise, but wise, understanding what the Lord's will is. So God tells us we can understand that. We can know it. It's not that it's so far above us we can't ever get to it. God says, understand what my will is. Then we know that we can ask for it because we believe it and that we can say it. So if you look at our salvation example, even though you may not feel saved, we still say that we're saved because God's word says so. And it's never lying about yourself or about your situation to say what God says about it. Otherwise, every time Abraham introduced himself, he would have been lying. But now the world would have looked at it and said, what, that he was lying? I'm the father of many nations. How many kids do you have? None. You're not a father. What are you talking about? You're lying to me. No, because God says, I'm making you the father of many nations. That's who you are. And he trusted in that. So let's look at this scripture quickly and just say to this, Okay, so we say to this mountain, that means we confess it in the present. We're not going to say to the mountain next week, we're not going to eventually, we say to the mountain in the present, right? And then it says what? And do not doubt. That's the faith part. So we say to the mountain in the present, be taken up, be thrown into the sea. We don't doubt in our heart. There's the faith. But believes that what he says, that means believes that what he is speaking in God's word whatever God's word you are inserting into that situation, that it will come to pass, okay? Now, will come to pass is future in the present. <laughs> I'm going to let you wrap your head around that one for a minute because that one's kind of a... But if you go back and look at this thing with Abraham, it makes perfect sense. Abraham, when he introduced himself, he was basically calling something to pass in the future, but he was speaking of it as if he had it in the present. That's faith, right? Go back to our definition. Substance, right, of things hoped for. That means you've got something that you're hoping for in the future. It's proof, it's evidence of things you don't see. So it will come to pass, future and the present, and that it will be done for him. So that's not only saying you have it now, but it will also be done for you in the future. You have it now and it will carry through. Okay, it's not like you get it, then you lose it, and then you gotta try and find it again. You get it and it carries through. As long as our faith stays present, we're walking in God's will, we're walking in God's grace, we're walking on the right path. Then it says, believe that you have received it. That's in the past. Well, when did we receive it? We received it the moment God put it down in here and said it was ours. That's where we look back. Two great examples of this. Isaiah 53, 5, it says, by his wounds we are healed. This is Isaiah in the past looking forward into the future for the expectant coming of Christ, and he's calling it in the present. He says, you are healed, present tense. Christ hadn't even come yet. P, 
Peter talks about it in 1 Peter 2. This is another one of those where God repeats himself. But the only change it makes is when Peter records it, he says, by his wounds you were healed. Looking back to the cross, calling it present tense, because that's the moment it was done. We receive our healing, we receive the provision that God has for us. Everything is exactly the same as it is with our salvation. There's no difference. But the first thing we have to do is we have to believe it. And the only way we believe it is if we've read it in God's Word and we've let God's Word soak into our heart and let the truth of that grow up in our heart. Because then once we believe it, we can confess it into the situation. Romans 10:17 tells us, Faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes from the Word of Christ. Now this is another example where that literal translation is nice to have. Because in the King James it says, Hearing through the Word of God. And it's not that that's wrong. But remember that our God is one God with three distinct persons. You have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, right? Where it says through the word of Christ, that's important because there's a distinction that's made here. If you go back and look in John chapter 1, verses 1, and then verse 3, it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Now you go down a little bit further, I think it's in verse 8, and it tells you who that word is. It's referring to Jesus. So it's referring to through the word of Christ. So it's just making that distinction. Same God. And again, we want to maybe gloss it over and say word of God. Word of Christ would be more accurate because that's exactly how God says it happened. But in either translation you look at, the important thing to notice out of that is that word, word. Something that's spoken in faith. And words come from the heart. Matthew 12, 34 says, For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Now here's another great verse that's also repeated more than once. Now you may remember it in the New Testament in either Matthew 12 or in Luke 6, it says the same thing. It says, For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. There's a total of nine times that passage is repeated in Scripture, though, and seven of them are in the Old Testament. Psalms, Proverbs, and Ezekiel. He's calling this same concept. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And that word abundance, if you look that up, you'll notice something that's very interesting. It literally means pieces left over. Now, when you think about that, the first thought that came to my mind was I'm remembering the two different miracles that are recorded where Jesus fed the multitudes. They had absolutely nothing. Jesus gave thanks and blessed it and started distributing Thousands of people were fed, and if you go back and look at that story, it says not only were they fed, it doesn't indicate that, well, it kind of slacked off their hunger a little bit. They got a little snack, and they're good enough to carry on until they can find a McDonald's or something. They were totally satisfied. It says they were stuffed. I mean, I'm picturing these guys, they've just listened to Jesus teach. They've had this great meal on the ground. You know, some are probably looking for a tree to take a nap under at this point. They're stuffed. They're full. You ever had that happen? You know, you go home, you just eat a big meal, and it's like, whew, okay, now it's time to put my feet up and take a little nap here. That's the kind of fool we're talking about. They were completely satisfied, not hungry. They didn't still wish they had a little more. I could have used a little more. No, they're, they're done. They're good. And what happened? The disciples went around and picked up all these pieces that were left over. I think in one case there was seven. In another case there was 12 basketfuls. And these are like big, big baskets, not like, you know, little Easter egg bags. Big baskets, full, heaping over. 
So when it says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, it literally means that the words that come out of your mouth on a regular basis are coming from the little pieces that are left over that are pumping out of the top. If you think of your heart like a vessel, you are so full of whatever that is that what's coming out is the stuff that's left over. It's literally just spewing over the top of, of the cup. It's not in the core of your being. It's not this little tiny place. It's literally there's so much in there that's coming out. So when we're talking about something and we notice ourselves saying words that have things to do with fear, doubt, worry, talking about all the symptoms, talking about, well, this is what the doctor said and it's so awful and it's so horrible. And that's all that we talk about all the time. Well, those are the words that are coming out of our heart. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, remember, when we started out, we looked at those scriptures, it gave two different examples. It said either from his mouth, his stomach is satisfied. It said that, you know, he had these, these blessings, things were good. Or, what? Fool's lips walk into a fight. They're a snare to his soul. So we start to see why this is important now. You know, there, there are no idle words that we say like, well, I was just teasing, well, I was just joking around, well, I was just telling them how it is. Just stop and think about that phrase for a minute in context with what we've been looking at. When you tell somebody this is how it is, if it doesn't line up with this, whether we realize it or not, what we've just done is we've said, well, this is what God may say about the situation, but this is how it really is. I've just taken this and then put this over top of God. And we do that sometimes out of ignorance. Sometimes we do it without realizing. Like I said, we may say a thousand words in a day and not remember a thousand of them because we're just talking to people. We're just conversing. We're making jokes. We're going on. We say things. But I think if you go back and you look at this, I don't think that God necessarily sees our words that way. I think there's a reason why he has things in the order that he has them. And we have to understand, and I've said this many times up here before, there's not some gray area that we kind of hang out in. Like where there's God's stuff over here, and there's the devil's stuff over here, and I'm just kind of somewhere in the middle trying to steer my way through as best I can. If you can picture it like a straight line that's just paper thin, and we're the size we are, right? We're literally either on one side or the other. There's no gray area. And when we look at it that way, I think two things happen. Number one, we, we maybe get a little concerned thinking, wait a minute. But we don't need to be concerned in a, in a fearful way. It just needs to be an opportunity of saying, okay, this, this may be an area where I need to challenge my faith a little bit. Maybe I need to get in here and do this for myself and see, you know, God, I think this may be what you're showing me. I want to find out more. And that would be my encouragement. You know, I've thrown a lot of stuff out here, and Pastor Jeff has said it, I'll say it. Don't ever just take our word for it. And part of the reason why I like to put so much scripture in my messages is the fact that I want you to go back afterwards and look at this for yourself and say, okay, do I think Keith was, was off on left field here somewhere? Or maybe, yeah, he was right, this looks good. Go back and do this for yourself. Because whether we're spending time in God's word or spending time watching the news or doing whatever, we're constantly filling that cup up. And then when the situations come up, I'm, you know, Pastor Jeff has talked about this, like, Sometimes if you're driving your car and someone cuts you off, what are the first words that pop out? You know, 
Are they bless you or are they something else? Or are they bless you with the connotation of if I could get my hands on you, I would kill you kind of thing? Or What comes out? Well, that comes out for a reason because that's what's in there. And maybe sometimes the things that come out aren't so nice. I mean, I know sometimes I've gotten frustrated with my kids and I've just gotten upset and I'm like, ah, you know, why can't you guys do this or why can't you listen or, you know, whatever. And then afterwards I think back and I'm like, you know, Maybe I was having a bad day at work. Maybe a lot of things were going on. I was stressed and I just snapped when otherwise I wouldn't have been upset at all. And then I go back and I apologize. I make it right. But I think, you know, maybe if I'd been spending a little more time in this, I wouldn't have to apologize later. We're not perfect. God doesn't call us to be perfect. But I think that God does expect us to take an active role in what goes on every day. It's a very sad truth, but there are a lot of churches and a lot of places around the world that, that kind of teach this philosophy that it's all up to God. Just do the best you can and hope you make it through. And you know, sometimes it would be great if it worked that way, but you can't really read this book and come to that conclusion. God calls us to be active. He calls us to do things. And what did Jesus say? He said, I do the things my father did. And he calls us to do the same things. So if we're going to do the same things, we have to follow the example that our dad sets for us. Well, how did our dad do it? Believed it. Confess it. He did it. That faith prompted him to action. That's the same way he expects us to do it. So whether it's in something small, whether it's in something big, called the ministry, maybe just being on the bus and giving up a seat to, to someone who was standing that otherwise could have been seated. It could just be something that small, just an act of kindness. Right, well, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, right? Those fruits, they can be demonstrated in smaller, big ways. But they have to start because we put them in. And then that faith that stirs up causes that to come out. Some people have said that it's your checkbook that shows where your faith is really at when they're talking about the concept of tithing. I think we can take that one step further, though in reality, it's the words we say that show really where we're at spiritually. So the thought that I would leave you with today as we close, and I say this as much to myself as to anybody else here, spend time this week just kind of paying a little more attention maybe to the words that come out. And see if maybe in a situation if they lined up with, yeah, maybe those were the words God would have spoken, or maybe they're not. And maybe that could be part of our prayer this week as we go forward, saying, okay, God, help me to speak more of the words that line up with your word so that I can do more of the work you have for me to do and be more effective doing it. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the truth in it. And God, I thank you that, that there are new mercies for us every day, new revelation for us every day of your word, God, as we grow. There's always something for us to learn. Father, I thank you for sharing this with me this week. I know this was a lesson I needed to pay attention to. And it's one that I needed to hear. I pray, God, that it would be one that would be helpful to others. Lord, I pray that we would take your word and put it into action in our lives. Not just allow it to be something that we look at, put on the shelf, and don't think about till next Sunday. I pray, God, that your word would be active and alive in our hearts. That what's in our heart would come out of our mouths and spark us into action, Father, and that we would be about doing the work you have. Whether in small things, big things, whatever it is you call us to do, knowing that you are going to provide in every situation and that you're going to see us through it in every situation, Lord.
Please be with us as we leave here. Bring us back safely together, Father, next week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.